Every person who accomplishes something of significance never does it by accident. You don't stumble into winning a Super Bowl. You don't stumble into raising great kids. You don't stumble into a successful marriage and go, oh, you know, it just kind of happened. No, those things are done intentionally. We all have hopes and we all have dreams. We all have aspirations. But the difference between those dreams and aspirations becoming reality or just remaining unrealized hope is intentionality behind the decisions that we make. Now, we can continue to talk and agree about some of the things that we've been preaching about this year and growing in and learning and getting unified around this year when we say things like we want to live our lives in a way where we're investing beyond our lifetime and we're reaching the next generation. And we can all agree on that. We can all amen on that. We can get very excited and just, man, feel all pumped up around that. Or we can make decisions that will be more conducive to seeing that dream, that aspiration becoming a reality. And so today I want to talk about how we can live our lives in a way that it is conducive to beyond our lifetime. So let's go over to Joshua chapter 24. If you have your Bible this morning while you're finding Joshua 24, if you are newer to BCC, I want to let you know that we utilize the Uversion app every single week here, and that is the free Bible app that you can download. It's the, one of the largest downloaded apps that's out there. Download that Bible app, and it's called Uversion. You can go to the menu, and you can turn on your location services and look for a live event in your area. You should be able to see BCC pop up. You click on that every week. You'll have a copy of my notes in there, so that way you can follow along as well as you can make notes of your own and email them to yourself in a PDF format. It's a really great way to take notes if you uh, have that Bible app and you want to utilize that. just want to remind you of that from time to time. Joshua 24. This is at the end of the story of the Exodus. This is the end of the story of the Hebrew children being released sovereignly by God through the leadership of Moses. All the plagues being released from 400 years of Egyptian slavery, and then being led through the wilderness. Moses receives the Ten Commandments, all the ups and downs, and all of the twists and turns of this story were to bring them out of slavery and into a promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was supposed to be good for them, that God had set apart for his people and for his purposes. And after all of the things that they had gone through, Joshua ends up taking over leadership. Moses passes away. Joshua leads them through the Jordan River, leads them to overcome many military uh, victories. The most uh, probably memorable one, if you're familiar with the scripture, is the battle at Jericho where they walked around the city with the high walls and the walls fell uh, with a great shout and God gave them the military victory over that and now all these battles are done. And if you back up and you read in Joshua 24, you'll see that Joshua begins to take the 12 tribes of Israel and he be begins to assign different regions to those tribes. This tribe's gonna live over in this region. This tribe's gonna live over in that region. And all of these various tribes are kind of getting their assignments of which piece of the promised land they're going to inhabit and raise their families and pass on to the next generation. And then he gives a great speech, and it's a very famous speech. Maybe you have even bought something with a part of this scripture on there from Hobby Lobby or whatever the case may be. It's a very famous text 
And so Joshua is standing in front of all these people, and he's giving them these final words before they go on to live their lives after all of the years that they have endured together. Joshua 24, verse 14, he says this, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served before you on the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he says this one, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this because what Joshua is doing is he's saying, my house, this is the vision for my house. This is who we are. The rest of society can go this way. The rest of society can choose whatever path they want to, whatever seems right for you to do, whatever seems evil for you to do. But as for my area of responsibility, as for my region of responsibility, the area that I have been entrusted to lead and cast vision for, Here's what we're going to do. Me and my house, we see the value in serving the Lord. And so we are making a public declaration that we are going to serve the Lord. So I want to ask you this question. What is the vision for your house? What is the vision for your house? Joshua was clear, not only to himself and to his family members, but to those around him. This is who we are. Something that my wife and I began to practice years ago, I don't remember where we learned it from, but from someone much smarter than us is that we began to teach our children based on identity of our last name so that they would understand that when they see their friends doing certain things or getting to do things or they uh, have certain freedoms or restrictions, whatever the case may be, or certain behaviors, we would correct our children and give them vision by saying this. We would say, this is how Armstrongs behave or this is how Armstrongs don't behave. Or these are things that we as Armstrongs do. These are things we as Armstrongs don't do. And we would use that identity of our last name to help create the culture and the expectation around it. So that way it's not just mom and dad are restricting or mom and dad are making these decisions. It's no, this is the identity that I want you to be able to embrace. And this is what it means. I'm defining for them. This is what it means to be a part of this family. These are the values that this family has. And so it really helped our kids understand and get in their hearts, like this is the culture, this is the, 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 the parameters, this is the, the, the reason, the vision of who we are and why we operate the way we do and why we make the choices that we do. These are the things that guide us because this is how Armstrongs treat people. This is how Armstrongs deal with this situation or that situation. And so when I would correct my children or give instructions, I would use that criteria to help keep them on that path of understanding why because a lot of times kids always want to know why and what do we tell them like what's the default answer mom and dad because I said so <laughs> it's got to be bigger than that listen listen it's got to be bigger than that it's got to be better than that and the reason that my wife and I chose to give our children that was bigger than because I said so is because this is how Armstrong's are. This is how we choose to live. These are the values and the principles. And this is what Joshua is doing. And he's making a public declaration. And he's saying, this is the identity of who our family is going to be. As for me and my house, 
I'm giving a vision here that we are going to serve the Lord. So that means that at that point, Joshua has to begin making decisions that are conducive to that vision. That Joshua has to set the temperature in the home. That Joshua has to set the pace in the home. Because it's got to be bigger than just declaring it, right? He's going to have to do more than declare it. He would have to create environments conducive to seeing that become reality. He would have to make decisions to uphold those values that would be a strong foundation, not only for him, but for those who would come up after him. And that's the key, is that it has to be bigger than just you. Because when you're gone, when you're out of the picture, what decisions are going to be made? Has that environment been created and the values seen? And are those values to those people who are watching, are those things valuable enough to them that they want to continue on with that because they see that this matters? Not just because mom and dad said so, but because I see this is important. This is a transition that every young person goes through that may grow up in a home with some sort of faith foundation. Every young person comes to a crossroads in their life where they have to make a decision. Am I going to serve God because I see value in him? Because I come to this crossroads of it was something that was handed to me, something that was my parents' faith, and now, based on my own opinion, my own view of the world, my own perception, all the influences that have been around me, and what I've seen modeled, is it worth it to continue to serve the Lord? And every young person comes to that crossroads. Every young person comes to that crossroads and they have to see the value for themselves because it's got to be bigger than just I'm serving God so my parents will still accept me and welcome me at Thanksgiving and so they'll still like me so I still pop in church enough to keep my parents off my back. It's got to be bigger than that. Amen? It's got to be bigger than just church attendance. It's got to be bigger than just trying to be a good moral person making good moral decisions because there's a lot of uh, religions out there that have nothing to do with Christ that still preach and teach a version of morality and be nice and do nice things, follow rules and all those things. So it's got to be bigger than just morality. It's got to be bigger than just following rules. And so that's why when these young people come to this intersection, you know, when they start having opinions and things, I, I remember when my kids first started having opinions, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what your opinion's supposed to be. And that's why, you know, like you, and I remember the, the, the first time that my son and I had a difference of opinion with a certain situation around a video game and a friend that he was playing with. And I was like, he, he, I feel like he's not trusting me in this moment. It was really an odd situation because we kept going back and forth. And he was wanting me to trust him, but I was wanting him to trust me. And we weren't seeing eye to eye on the way a certain situation was going down. And it was very jarring to me as a parent because up until that point, it had just kind of been, yes, sir, I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. And if not, I'll get in trouble. And so I don't want to get in trouble, so I'll just keep doing the thing I'm supposed to do. And now there's not this, it wasn't rebellious defiance as much as it was this, hey, I have a thought on this too. And I'm like, who taught you to think, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I did, you know. <laughs> That's right. And now he's, he's growing into just a, a, a really solid young man who has a very good head on his shoulders, able to think, and I'm really happy to be able to see that. And he sees certain values and things where uh, he's even said to me, you know, Dad, when I have children, I want to raise my kids the way that you and Mom raised me because I see the value in it. And I'm like, okay, 
Like, that to me is, is fruitfulness. Like, that's bigger than just do this this way because I said so, right? I'm seeing the value in it. And that's what has to be passed on to the next generation because it just can't be follow the rules because I said so. It's got to be I see it. I understand the why. It's bigger than that. So Joshua making this declaration, this is the vision of my house. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Okay, that's great. It's a great vision. But what's going to happen in that? Because you see, we have to set the tone and the pace now to help those that are watching us and those who are, out going to, who are going to outlive us. They have to see the value in us following Jesus. And they have to see it being more than just a declaration. Amen? Amen. That's why at BCC, one of our core values is transformation is our pursuit. And the reason this is one of our core values is because that's our way of saying that we should not be the same. That we should not only be changed when we come to Christ, but that he should be continually changing us as we are growing in sanctification, conforming to the image of Christ, and that our lives are bearing more and more fruit the more we live our lives submitted to him, trusting in him, and that those that are watching us can see that our lives are bearing fruit, that our walk is matching our talk. Amen? Because we can say all the right things. We can put them in all the right environments. We can, we can make them watch VeggieTales 24-7, you know. We, we can surround them with Christian subculture. But that's not going to change the heart. What is going to grab their heart is when they see it lived out. And that even means not only with the things you get right, but with the things you get wrong. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors. It's not just when you get it right, it's when you get it wrong. Where do you go when you get it wrong? What do you do when you mess up, when you're afraid, when you're doubting? Are you being transparent with those things? Are you letting them see that even in my failures, I still am willing to apologize, to repent, to turn, that I'm working on things, I'm growing in things, and that there's fruitfulness in my life that's evidenced of a pursuit of Christ. <laughs> I keep talking about my kids. I didn't mean to do none of this. Is like It's just stuff that keeps coming to me. We were on the way back from Taekwondo a few weeks back, and I was in the car with uh, two of my kids, and um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, on the way, we're on the way back from, from class, and uh, we start talking about a particular subject, and my daughter, Leah, brings up the fact, she said, well, Dad, just to be real honest with you, you know, back then you were really mean. Okay, well, what do you mean? And she, she was telling me about the situation we were talking about. She said, well, you would get really mad over the littlest things, and you would just blow up and this and that. And then my son chimes in, and they start kind of making fun of me a little bit. Like, yeah, you would do this. And they would kind of do their impression of me and talk about, like, yeah, like, you were really mean. And, 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 and there's two things going on in my mind right now, right? I'm thinking, A, I love that they have the, 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 the comfort to be able and the security to be able to share those things with me, even though they're only 15 and 17, they're sharing those things with me about how I used to behave in certain situations. And then my daughter said this. She said, but you don't act that way anymore. You don't get upset like you used to anymore. And they felt comfortable enough to pick on me a little bit about it. And I love that they felt comfortable with me to do that. That lets me know they're secure in our relationship. And what that lets me know is that they've seen me grow. They've watched me grow. They've watched me become more fruitful in my life to where the things that I used to do that weren't very Christ-like, 
that weren't necessarily the best example, that they've seen a shift, that they've seen a change in me. And they were acknowledging that in a playful way and kind of picking on me. And, and, and I also was embarrassed. <laughs> because as a parent, you're like, oh. And I'm like, what do I fix? What do I need to fix right now? Do I need to fix anything? And, and, and I'm driving, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just had to be like, okay, like, just, just listen to what they're saying. And they're noticing a change in you, like a noticeable change that's impacting their life in a different way. And so are we pursuing transformation? Especially with those that are watching us. Are they seeing our transformation? Are they seeing us change? Are they seeing us grow? Are, are they seeing us admit when we get it wrong? Are they seeing those things that we're pursuing Christ and we're conforming more and more to the image of his son? You, you see, we should not be the same because the longer that we walk with Jesus, the more of an impact he should be having on our lives, right? And so if we want to make a great declaration, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, that means I'm going to pursue being different tomorrow than I was today. That means that I'm still pursuing Christ's impact on my life and that I'm shedding these things off from my past, from my mistakes, from my struggles, from the way I thought, the way that I viewed the world, the way I viewed myself, the way I viewed other people. All these things, I'm beginning to shed those layers and people are watching and they notice and man, you get those little moments maybe from time to time where the people that are watching you let you know that they notice and what a gift those times are. But whether I get those gifts or not, I still have to be pursuing transformation, amen? Because it's a worthy pursuit. And I said, I want my house to be a house that serves the Lord. And so as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I need to make sure that I'm pursuing that impact in my own lives. So the question is, is that do those following you, those watching you, do they see you value Christ? Do they really see the value of Christ in your life? Beyond Sunday, is your walk with the Lord bigger than Sunday? Are you pursuing him bigger than just Sunday morning? Is there times in your life where they see you pray when you run up against a challenge? When there's sickness in your home? Do you run to pray together? Hey, I'm not feeling well, family. Why don't we just pray? Or, you know, what do, are we pursuing Christ in those areas? When there's a situation that we learn about where maybe something terrible happened at school or something happened at work, do they see us running to Christ as our hope? Because if they see that, then, then when they run into things, if they saw that valuable and they saw you doing that as valuable, then when they run into those situations, they're going to turn to Christ because they're going to see that modeled in front of them. Are they seeing Christ making a difference in you? Not just saying and doing the right things, but are they actually seeing heart change happen? Are they seeing the power of Christ at work in your life? Are we pursuing him in that kind of a way? Because here's the thing, folks. I love Joshua 24, 15, and I know you do too. It makes great t-shirts, bumper stickers, little wooden plaques of all sorts of different shapes. And I know it's a great scripture. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But declaring the vision is not enough to see it fulfilled. Declaring it's not enough. There's a part to declaring it that matters. Even we read in Habakkuk 2 and 2, right? Write the vision down, you know, make it plain. We've all heard that before if you've been around church very long. That's good. Write it down, make it plain, declare it. But that's like putting a workout plan together and never going to the gym. Right? Something I've never done. I've never, never, <laughs> never, 
Never. Yes, I've done that many times. Great plans, poor execution, right? Great planning, great intent, but poor execution. And it's the same thing, man. We can, we can say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We can make declarations as a church. We want to be bigger than Sunday, bigger than Bettendorf, impact generations beyond our lifetime. Woohoo! But until we live with the intentionality where we're actually structuring our life in a way that we can see those things happen and living in that way where we're pursuing transformation and we're saying yes to greater things in our life and saying no to the lesser things. And until we get to those places where we're willing to make those decisions, man, we're just declaring it. We're just talking about it. We're getting pumped up. Woohoo! But declaring it's not enough. Let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 over to the prayer of the Shema. When, um, as you're going to Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter 6 when we were uh, when I was in Israel just a couple weeks back we got to go to a family's home on the Sabbath on Shabbat and so w- when we went to this family's home they do this every single week one of the most beautiful things that we all got to witness this father and mother do with their four daughters there present was we, we did certain readings we did certain prayers we had you know, certain foods, and he explained all the pieces of the Shabbat meal to us as we were doing this. And just every single week. One of the things that really gripped all of us and <laughs> made us all just feel like terrible parents <laughs> was, <laughs> was he started with his oldest daughter and went all the way down to the youngest, and he stood up, he puts his hands on her face, and he speaks blessings over her, and then he prays over her, And then he whispered something in her ear, and we saw this beautiful smile come across her face. And then he kisses her on the cheek, and she gives him a kiss. And then she goes to her mother, and the mother does the same thing. And then he does it to the next daughter, and the next daughter, and the next daughter. It was one of the most beautiful things that I have ever witnessed a father do with his children. And to think this child grew up with this being normal every single week. This is happening in their lives. It just gripped me, man. And then I began to think about the prayer of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land that you're going over to possess it. So this is written before you're in the promised land. So you're not at Joshua 24 yet. But he said, this is the way that I want you to live on the way there and when you get there. That you will fear the Lord your God. You, your son, and your son's son, so this is speaking beyond my lifetime, by keeping all of God's statutes, all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here's what you're supposed to do. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Even on our flight to Tel Aviv, of course, there's a lot of Jews on the flight headed back home. And 
in the middle of the flight, they would get up, and some of them had scrolls they would open, and people would gather in a little corridor on the airplane mid-flight, and they're reading scrolls and singing songs, some of them taking the phylacteries and wrapping them around their arms and saying their prayers, putting on their prayer shawls over in the corner all during the flight. There's people standing up praying, people opening scrolls and reading them. And I thought how dedicated they were to worshiping and honoring God that even in the middle of a flight where I'm just trying to, you know, watch a movie or try to sleep, which is impossible really, to sleep comfortably on a plane, and here they are praying and worshiping, and people are gathering. People are like, oh, can I come and join you? And so they got a little group of 10 people right there by the bathroom, you know. And uh, they're having a, a time of reading, you know, the Torah and, and uh, talking about the scriptures and singing songs and going through their rituals and their rhythms. And it was really encouraging and convicting simultaneously to watch um, because no one on the plane, like the, the flight attendants or anyone, checked up and thought that was an odd thing because they see this every single time that they take a flight like this because there's people that are just very dedicated to worshiping the Lord. And I began to think, wow, all of our domestic flights in America, and we claim to be a Christian nation, they would think it was really weird if we gathered, opened the Bible in the middle of the plane and started reading the scriptures. They would go, what are these people doing? This is weird. But on a flight to Jerusalem, eh, it's just normal. It's just what they do. So begin to think about that and think that's because of the prayer of the Shema here that we just read. When we see that Moses wrote these things of the commands of God, that man, this is important. You need to make sure that you keep the word of God in front of you, keep it in front of your children and teach them diligently to not only hear it, but to observe it and obey it, to actually do what it says. It's not enough to just declare it, church. Amen? It's not enough. Here's our big idea for today, and I want you to get this in your heart. Our legacy is to build bridges for the next generation to walk across. That's what our legacy is, is to build a bridge that maybe you and I, man, maybe, maybe it's, this bridge isn't for us, but it's building a bridge for the next generation to walk across. It's like planting seeds in a garden that you never get to enjoy the fruit of the vegetation that you planted because you're planting it for someone else. And you're taking care of it for someone else. And you're making sure that there's fruit there. Because you want those who come up after you to be able to have something of sustenance in order to live their lives. And see those things lived out in a way that's conducive to saying, yes, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Amen, church? And the reason we do this is because we take the position in our heart that this is bigger than me. You see, if we make serving God just simply all about us and we don't think beyond us, then we're missing the point. If we think that church is simply for us and just all about us and all we think about is ourselves and we don't think beyond ourselves, then the next thing you know, we're missing the point. And there's not something for the next generation. And there's not something that's strong for them to walk on. There's not a strong bridge because we made it about ourselves. You have to understand that what God's called us to do, it's bigger than you and me. Amen? And I want us to live with that type of priority because the gospel is bigger than you and me. And the gospel is what impacts eternity. We're not talking about just teaching people how to live a good moral life here on earth and accumulate some wealth and be able to take some nice vacations and drive a nice car and live in a nice home. It's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about eternity. Eternity. Forever. We're talking about people being able to live regardless of the temperature and the climate that may be very hostile towards Christianity. We're teaching them and we're modeling for them and handing them and building a bridge for them that will be able to survive whatever the enemy could try to throw at this next generation. Because, man, the political climate can get out of hand. And guess what? This isn't the first time that politics has, got, has gone awry. It's not the first time that society has ever got to the place where it just has this antichrist agenda. Have you read the New Testament? <laughs> they lived in an antichrist society where Caesar was deified, where the emperor and emperor cult worship and all sorts of sexual sin were prominent, normalized. All sorts of egregious sexual sin was normalized in their day where you would go into a temple to worship one of the goddess, goddesses or gods of the Pantheon and you would take different people in the, 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 the temple prostitutes and you would do all sorts of vile things with them in honoring the god or the goddess. And that was okay, legal, and normal. And people were Christians in the middle of all of that. People were Christians under the reign of Nero where Rome begins to burn, Jerusalem's destroyed, and Nero goes, it was the Christians who did it. And so the Christians get blamed for the burning of Rome, and next thing you know, now they're being persecuted and killed for their faith, and they still continue to stand and love Jesus through it all. So you look at the political climate, oh man, it, it's so difficult you know, to be a Christian, oh I can't believe what my kids are gonna have to go through. This is not the first time Christians have had to go through something difficult. So yeah, it may get more and more difficult to be a Christian, but it's your responsibility and my responsibility to give them a strong bridge to walk across to know why they serve Jesus. So that when those things come, when those pressures come and, and they're already here and they're only going to ramp up as time goes on, we've seen this, you know, and, and whether they live in a time where it's more intense or where it's calmer, that's not the goal is to, to, to make life more calm and convenient for them. The goal is that no matter what climate they may find themselves in, whether Christianity is accepted or whether it is hated, that they see the value in following Jesus and that they'll stand, that they'll stand and they'll keep showing people what the true gospel lived out looks like. Amen, church? The gospel is bigger than you and me. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to create a legacy? Well, here's the first thing that we need to do. We need to get rid of the noise and the excuses. A lot of us, man, we've got a lot of excuses. Oh, man, I've got struggles. I, I, I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm not good enough. Or, or I don't know enough. Or, you know, if you really knew... What I struggle with, you know what? Live out those struggles in front of those who are watching you by being transparent, vulnerable, asking for help, asking for prayer, showing them where you run when you struggle. Because none of us are perfect, amen? None of us have got it all figured out. So get rid of the noise, get rid of the excuses. Oh, I'm too busy, I'll do this when this, or oh, I wish I would have done this years ago and you feel all guilty. No, 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 no. You are still here. God has still given you influence. How are you going to use that for his kingdom? Amen? The second thing, what is the vision for your house? Write it down. 
Make it plain. Have you written it? There is merit to writing it down and declaring it. What is the vision for your house? What's the vision for your family, for your children, your grandchildren, some of you, your great-grandchildren? What is your vision for your home? And then what can you do to influence that for the kingdom of God? Not only by coming to church. That's, that's great. Keep doing that. I'm for that. <laughs> you know. But at the same time, what are you doing during the week with what you've been equipped and what you've been given on Sunday morning? What are you doing with your Bible reading? It's great if you're, if you're reading the Bible, you're in Bible studies and all these things. I mean, I know some of you are, are in great uh, groups like a BSF group and you're in other groups I know that are similar to that and, and you're learning the Bible and in the small groups here at church and, and I hear about all these things that you're doing and I think that's great, but I want to challenge you. What are you doing with that information you're getting? What are you doing with all of that? It's great. If all you're doing is just getting more information, you're missing something. There's a disconnect. And I want you to ask yourself, what am I doing with what I'm learning? And how is it transforming me? Not just making me smarter, but how is it, how is it transforming me? That's the worthy investment that we need to pursue as transformation is our pursuit. Number three, declare it to others. This is one of the things Joshua did. Not only did he make a declaration to his house, but he made a declaration to other people. So others around you, your friends, those closest to you, people maybe that are watching you, man, let them know, man, you know what? I, I've got this vision for my house. I've got this vision for my marriage, for my friendships. Maybe you don't even have kids. Maybe you're, you're influencing people in a different way. Maybe you're influencing people through uh, volunteering with, with students. Or maybe you're a school teacher. Or maybe you're influencing people uh, in your neighborhood. Or maybe in your friend group. Whatever the case may be. It's not just about families and people with kids and grandkids and so on and so forth. I want you to think differently about the influence that God has given you. And share that with other people. Share that vision. Declare it to other people. Number four, shape your disciplines and your environment around it. So what are the rhythms in your home? Man, I called my wife after I went to that Shabbat dinner and saw that guy praying over his daughters. And I said, hey, there's some things that I gleaned from this that I want to take and kind of implement in our home and in our rhythms. What are those rhythms for you? What are some things that maybe you could begin doing that are disciplines and rhythms in your home that are conducive to creating those environments of helping people's hearts be directed towards serving God? And number five, authentically persevere till the end as an example of faith. So you're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. There's going to be times when you don't feel like doing those certain disciplines and, and protecting those rhythms. There's going to be days where you make mistakes. But man, that perseverance is key where you always go back to the vision and you always remember the thing you declared, the thing you said, and that you really believe the why behind it. Because you know that your role, your legacy is to build bridges for the next generation to walk across. That you keep going back to that, even when you stumble, even when you get away from it. Man, it's been weeks since we prayed together as a family. Instead of sitting there and just feeling bad about it, Lord, we're, we're going to start right now. Get back to it. Persevere. Keep fighting for the things that are conducive to impacting and influencing the next generation. Amen? Authentically pursue it, even when you mess up, even when you stumble. As we close Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, verse 7. 
Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He said, I don't know anything of any merit or worth except Christ and himself crucified. Everything else I've counted it as loss. And so for us to build bridges for the next generation to walk across, we're going to have to live intentionally. So start with those things. I hope that you can take little pieces of what's been shared today and you can actually apply them in your life. And I hope that as you go to brunch or, or lunch or, or, or you go for a car ride with your family, wherever you may go, whatever your next step is, hanging out with a friend, whatever you're going to go do today, my hope is that you'll have a conversation around things that you need to implement and do and you can grow. And maybe if you're already doing some of these things, maybe it challenges you to keep persevering or maybe change some things or tweak some things or add some things that you feel like are important or necessary to create that type of environment, to set that priority because that's what it's going to take, church. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us do this. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. And we would ask that you would just continue to work in us and through us for what brings you glory to impact and invest in the next generation. We love you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.